listening to Radio Ed, a University of Denver podcast. We're your hosts, Nicole Militello, Alyssa Hurst, and I'm Lauren Fultenberg. COVID-19 is getting all the attention these days, but there's something else spreading infectiously around the world. It has been for years, and it doesn't have a straightforward solution like a vaccine. It's misinformation, stuff that just isn't true, like claims about malaria drugs that could supposedly cure COVID, or the wild conspiracy theories about stolen elections that culminated in an attack on the US Capitol. The reach of false information is at an all-time high, and trust in news media is near an all-time low. How did we get here? And how do we get out? Kareem El-Dominori has been looking for a cure, so to speak. He's a journalist and an academic who studies how information spreads, how news organizations share it, and how local communities can get the accurate reporting they need. From his perspective, 2020 may have been the biggest threat to the truth to date. What was it like watching that year unfold? It was crazy to say the least. Um, all over the world, not just here. I'm from Egypt and I was also following, you know, the misinformation in the Arab world as well. And it, it seems like it's uh, it's another pandemic. Um, a lot of a lot of sources out there um, trying to to basically get clicks and get hits and stuff like that. So they put the most abhorrent stuff just you know in terms of clickbait and stuff in order to get people in. Um, it seems to me that you know people are looking for profit and lo- not for accurate information, right? That plays a role in the misinformation out there. A few years back, there were actually a business in uh, Macedonia in Eastern Europe and, you know, uh, folks just teenagers creating websites and putting in their clickbaits and making it as professional as it can be. And they were making thousands and thousands of dollars uh, a month just living off of the misinformation business. So it's crazy. Misinformation must have existed before, but I think for most people, it didn't really enter their field of view until probably that 2016 election when fake news became a word that we were all familiar with. Where did this, this fake news phenomenon come from? Misinformation has been there for, for a long time, you know. Um, it's just a matter that, you know, again, like if we talk about, you know, videos of, um, let's say, police uh, beating somebody in the streets, right? Is that like a new phenomenon? Not really. It's just a matter of, you know, now we have smartphones in our pockets and we can just pull them out and take videos of that and just upload them on the web right away. Um, so that's the same thing with misinformation, um, except that there weren't as much sources of information. So um, now the potential to slip into misinformation is just higher by virtue of the sheer number of outlets out there and the speed and the interconnectedness and the folks who are trying to get into the journalism, quote unquote, business um, when they are not even journalists. Okay, so maybe misinformation has always been there. Do you feel like these days with social media and the fact that we're in a, a public health emergency, do you feel like the consequences of misinformation have changed at all? Absolutely, you know, because with with social media and with the number of people who have social media accounts and who are active on social media, even if they are not necessarily posting, but they are being exposed to what their networks are putting out there. Um, So the consequences is, you know, folks may um, mistrust the media. Folks may believe things that are simply not true. Um, Folks may be, you know, believing things that are not necessarily scientific. Um, I think there was 
the poll not so long ago, a few years back, and I can't remember the exact number, but there was a sizable portion of the U.S. population who believe global warming is not even happening. And this is just counter to science. So this is one of the repercussions and the consequences of, you know, what we're talking about now, misinformation and the propagation and amplification of voices that are not necessarily accurate. Yeah. And not only are people distrusting the information, but more and more, it seems like they're distrusting the voice. Uh, there's an Edelman trust barometer that comes out every year. And this year it showed that more than half of Americans think that journalists and reporters are purposely trying to mislead consumers and purposely support a specific ideology. Yeah, and I'm, I'm definitely not surprised, um, simply because um, at the end of the day, if we think about you know news outlets out there, for the most part, I mean, what's what's their um, what's their business goal? It's basically profit, right? So um, that kind of explains the existence of partisan media, right? So if you're a Republican, you're probably watching certain outlets and you are, you know, um, sort of like dependent upon those voices um, for news. And then if you are a Democrat or, you know, liberal and you tend to, you know, veer away from those sources in a way for the most part and depend upon other sources, that in and of itself just creates mistrust because, but over time, some folks may then develop that attitude of, okay, I don't believe anything other than what is coming in my echo chamber, right? The echo chamber that I've selected, that I've put myself in, um, that involves outlets that I believe are to trust while others are not to trust. There was a time when the American public had a lot of trust in the media. In the 1970s, it was close to three and four Americans. And this is the age of Watergate and the Vietnam War. So what has changed since that golden age of journalism? I think that the, the boom and the number of outlets, I mean, let's think of the 1970s, how many outlets were there? I don't have the exact number, but I'm sure it's going to be way, way, way less than um, the outlets that we have now. We now have options, right? We have the option to choose before. Yes, there was that option, but at the same time, it was kind of limited in a way. Um, now anybody can, you know, uh, write something and post it online and it can, you know, get tons of shares and folks may believe that it's true, even if they are not necessarily journalists, somebody saying something, right? I remember a few years back, there was, I don't know, there was like something like, uh, what is the, there was a photo circulated um, that was called, I don't know, like the 28th Amendment, and there, were, there weren't such number even, you know, and it was just getting shares, you know. So, um, again, the technology and the sheer number of outlets and the platforms that amplify voices of everybody, really, not just, you know, um, journalists, is definitely not helping when it comes to trust in the media vis-a-vis -vis in the past, like in the 70s or before. Trust in media had been declining through pretty much all of the 2000s, I believe, but it wasn't really until 2016 that we started to see this real political fragmentation. How did trust in newspapers and TV stations, how did that become a political issue? I, I, I usually try to differentiate more between like newspapers <laughs> 
and TV outlets. Um, I, I still I still think that newspapers, um, especially local newspapers, small market newspapers, enjoy a level of trust in their local communities. Um, I see it more the level of mistrust, and I and I, I don't have like data to back that up, but this is this is my my view or what I think may be happening is that the trust is is is, is lowering more in the TV industry, um, the TV news industry more than it is um, in newspapers. Right. I'm glad you pointed that out because as much as there's talk about the media or the news media, the Denver Post is clearly not the same as the Washington Post and you know CNN is not the same as CBS News, which is not the same as your local CBS News station. Yeah, absolutely. Because remember the the, the local the local newspapers um, are actually much more than the national ones, right? So um, the, the vast majority of newspapers in the U.S. are small market newspapers and you know um, smaller outlets, and those tend to you know, or at least should be more interacting with the local community and touching on, you know, stories of importance to them that touches them on the ground, things that are happening around them in their proximity. Um, so I think this, the, the, we need to differentiate between TV and newspapers and radio and digital only, etc. Because, you know, it could be a very different picture that we're talking about, depending upon which sector that we're focusing on. So your latest research is focused exclusively on the local media landscape, is that right? Yep, I, um, I've been conducting research um, using the, the, the Colorado news landscape as a case study. Basically, we're examining the state of local journalism in Colorado and the health of local news uh, and the local news landscape writ large. Why was local news such an important thing for you to focus on? Um, so being being from Egypt, um, and I'm from Cairo, so this is the capital, you know, more than 21 million people living there, and the news is sort of like revolving around um, Cairo, um, and maybe to a lesser extent, uh, Alexandria, because this is the second biggest city. Um, when I came here to the US, um, I, was, I was amazed by the structure of the media and how, um, you know, each city or each, you know, um, state at least have their own um, newspapers and have their own um, TV stations and affiliate TV stations, etc. And I worked in the local news industry, and I found that this is really important because um, if you are living, let's say, in Denver, and all what you're hearing about is about DC and New York, okay, so that in a way. Uh, puts you in the dark when it comes to stuff that are happening around you. Um, what are politicians doing? What are the decisions that are being discussed? Um, what is, you know, um, what is the latest when it comes to education or the healthcare sector, you know, around me? So I, I, I view the local um, news industry or local journalism as pivotal for the health of society writ large and for the health of democracy as well. So can you paint a picture of the local news landscape for us, uh, either across the United States or here in Colorado? What's it doing well? What is it struggling with? So I can pull from research that was conducted um, nationally across the U.S. So um, Duke um, conducted a study across 100 communities in the U.S., and they looked at the news output that was um, out there from um, those communities and the outlets operating there. 
And one of the most striking things was that the vast majority of news output um, at the local stage is actually non-local and not original. What does that mean? That means that if you're living in a community, let's say, let's say you're in Durango, um, um, uh, Colorado, and um, the the news output uh, around you, if it's non-local, then it could be focusing on Denver, it could be focusing on Colorado Springs, it could be focusing on you know places other than your immediate proximity. What does unoriginal mean? Unoriginal means that it's content that is not generated by your own staff. So that could come from news agencies like Reuters, AP, etc. It could be basically you're using content from other outlets, which happens here in Colorado and it happens across the US as well. So this was um, one of the most interesting things and striking as well is the lack of original and non and uh, lack of original and local content in the local news media sphere. Let's face it, the, the reality is outlets are just, you know, closing their doors, they are laying off people, um, you know, um, news deserts are all across the US and there are, you know, there are news deserts here and just FYI, the news desert is a county that doesn't have even one newspaper that reports on what is happening in the community. Um, and those are on the rise across the US. And there are a lot of other communities and counties that are on the verge of being news deserts, which mean they have only one newspaper operating to serve the needs of the community. It seems like everybody has an idea of how to restore trust and make journalism better. It could be new mission statements or more transparency or even, you know, refraining from endorsing a candidate. What is your solution to restoring trust in news media? Well, that's the one million dollar question, right, um, that everybody's trying to figure out. Um, I think that part of the part of the solution is related to the notion of originality and locality and mostly locality. Remember that the, the FCC, when they were giving licenses to local TV stations, it was based upon or dependent upon the localis loc localism doctrine, um, which basically says that, you know, you should be providing the information that the local community needs. Um, what comes with that is more interaction between the news outlets and the journalists and the local community that in and of itself just bolsters um, trust in the media because you know the media. It's not, you're not talking about like an entity that you don't have, uh, that doesn't have a face. You're talking about, you know, your neighbor who happens to be working as a journalist and you've seen how they've interacted with you in the past and provided you with information that you need in your community. So I think that the notion of providing local content and, and of course that needs resources and that's another um, big issue, right? I think that once we resolve that, that in, in a way could help us get, you know, or increase trust in the media. Are the local outlets that exist now doing a good enough job of keeping in touch and reporting on things that are important to their audiences? I would, I would, I would more depend on research. And, and with research, it shows that it depends which outlet you're talking about, right? And sometimes it's um, the differences are across sectors. Sometimes it's across outlets. So there are definitely outlets that are doing a really good job, right? And as always, and is in any place, um, there are outlets that can do better. 
Um, and and also to go to go back to trust and locality, I was talking more about the local media, right? But once we once we start pivoting into national media, etc., I think that one of the main issues is you know partisanship being tied to a certain view, um, whether you know the outlet uh, in its entirety is um, being looked at as you know the voice of conservatives or the voice of liberals or the voice of the Republican Party or the voice of the Democratic Party. I think that um, I think that definitely. Um, sort of like hinders trust or decreases trust in the media just because you feel that you know it, it there, there are political decisions that are involved in the editorial decisions and that's really dangerous how can consumers find a source that is credible and trustworthy to question the source um simply and and that that goes back to media literacy um so if i'm reading an article um and as i said earlier there is an industry, uh, there is a misinformation industry. There are outlets out there that are not really outlets and folks are behind those outlets, making them seem and look as professional as they can get just to get the hits and the clicks and thus ads, right? So in that environment, we need to question the sources that we're getting. If I, you know, find that something doesn't really add up, who's the source that is being attributed in there? And then just you know google it oftentimes news outlets are reporting on stuff that may be available through the um the sources they use let's say you're talking you know a politician said something okay let's actually check what the politician said you know um even reach out and 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 verify um i know this is this is um this is this is exhausting this is too much but we have to question the sources or else you know some stuff may slip in and they are not accurate simply right and especially in this online landscape like you mentioned technology doesn't really seem to be doing us any favors uh, i think i just saw that algorithms on instagram most recently have been shown to continually serve up misinformation yes absolutely um the the, the algorithms uh, at the end of the day again it goes to the question of what is the business model right and the 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 need to um, you know, generate profit and how to generate profit is to get, you know, your, the eyes on the content or in the social media platform as long as possible. And thus the algorithm just brings you what you want to hear and what you want to see and what is related to the stuff that you've consumed in the past. Yes, sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it's helpful in certain instances, but also when it gets to news and information, Sometimes it just sort of limits the voices that are coming outside of the outlets that you tend to look at. And in other words, it bolsters and sort of solidifies the echo chambers that have been established. It's dangerous, it's risky, and um, the, the technology, while it's definitely helpful in, in many facets and other aspects, it may, get, uh, it may catalyze misinformation as well. But um, the good thing is that I know that tech companies are stepping up and they are um, creating uh, fact-checking, uh, um, you know, partnership with journalists and fact-checkers in order to make sure to identify certain content that is misinformation and flag that as such in order to, you know, um, alert everybody that, hey, this is not verified or this is not accurate or this is just outright false.
what is the path forward here? What can news consumers do to increase their media literacy? And what can media organizations do to make themselves more trustworthy? In terms of the, the audience, I think, I think media literacy, as I mentioned earlier, should be something that is um, offered as like a training for um, students in schools and in colleges no matter what they are studying or what their major are and what their majors are. Um, in terms of the media, I think that a big part of the answer lays in the business model. There are actually outlets and newsrooms that are emerging that are not for profit um, as a way to um, sort of like resolve the, the, the issue here, which is the local news industry is suffering in terms of profit and um, communities are suffering because news outlets are closing down. So we need to find a way to have a sustainable news industry that operates and provides the needs of the community. Kareem el Dominori is an assistant professor in DU's Department of Media, Film and Journalism Studies. His research on Colorado's local news landscape will be published later this month. And as soon as it is, you'll find a link to it in our show notes. So bookmark du.edu slash radioed. In the meantime, we asked Kareem for some sources you can trust to tell fact from fiction, plus ways to improve your own news literacy, identify misinformation, and stop it. Those links are also at du.edu slash radioed. Alyssa Hurst is our executive producer. Tamara Chapman is our managing editor. James Swearingen arranged our theme. I'm Lorne Fultenberg, and this is Radio Ed.